Hey folks, and welcome to the Daily Ratings Podcast. It's a show where each week we'll sit down with Vincent Daly to get his thoughts on the latest movies he's been watching, both older films and new releases. And don't worry, there's no spoilers. Vince will give a brief review of the movie, share some thoughts, and of course, then rate the film. The daily ratings are always fair, honest, and most importantly, they're consistent. On today's show, Vince will be rating and reviewing Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, directed by George Ray Hill, Ruthless People by Jim Abrams, David Zucker, and Jerry Zucker, Dead Man by Jim Jermush. We have newly released The Deer King by Masashi Ando and Masayuki Miyagi, and Where the Crawdads Sing, directed by Olivia Newman. So stay tuned and enjoy the show. Mr. Vincent Daly, how we doing, buddy? Tommy boy, how's it going? It's going, uh, it's going all right for me, man. How was your week of movies? A uh, week was good. Uh, I didn't expect to knock out two westerns. Uh, we have Butch Cassidy, but also Dead Man, uh, which he surprised me with that one. I'll be uh, yeah. honest. <laughs> I was just kind of wanted to watch something. Uh, I mean, I guess uh, the, the news of Johnny Depp is still uh, circling, still in present the- in, your- <laughs> yeah, <laughs> in your brain. Yeah. So uh, I wanted to watch it, but um, I didn't expect it to be so much of a Western and uh, hey, I mean, I mean, if we cover two in one week, that ain't too bad, you know. It's not a bad it. thing at all. Yeah, and it's yeah. a different kind. Like, it's not like again on classic Western mm, people's radar mm-hmm. stuff. Absolutely. But of course, we start with the one of the biggest westerns ever mm-hmm. made, and such a solidly well-known movie. This is Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. This is 1969. Like mm-hmm. I said, this is definitely a classic. Oh, yeah. And how does this movie hold up this many years later, though? Yeah, I, I think it holds up well. Um, uh, I had high hopes for this one. Late 60s, early 70s is, uh, I mean, really probably one of my favorite time periods in film. Close to a true story, Butch, played by Paul Newman, uh, and the kid, played by Robert Redford, uh, are on the you know the last leg, Uh Actually, very, very similar in tone. Well, maybe not in tone, but in in subject matter to what we covered uh, last week with Jesse James. Yeah. That, you know, the Cowboys days are done. This is actually even later. I think this is set, you know, early 1900s uh, or, or if not, you know, the, right at the turn of the century. And, uh, you know, they are on their last leg. They This, this duo has to find a different life or uh, succumb uh, to the life of the outlaw, uh, which is a which is a death destiny that we we know plays out the same each time the issue with that is <laughs> they really know nothing else but robbing banks and the film is a little <laughs> comedic actually with it it's it's very it's more lighthearted than I than I thought, honestly. Uh, not necessarily in a bad way, uh, but felt kind of very lighthearted '60s to me. So you were uh, kind of expecting more gritty, uh, intense, or yeah, or, or maybe just an emphasis more. 
I don't know, uh, a tension between the relationship, a tension between the two of them. Uh, instead, they're really thick as thieves, a uh, very Bonnie and Clyde uh, mm-hmm. style, and um, the tension isn't necessarily put on them that way. Uh, one heist too many causes them to pick up heat from a bank owner uh, that I believe is actually kind of faceless for the whole movie. And uh, he basically hires a hit squad uh, to hunt them down. Um, this kind of builds a paranoia between the two that haunts them like a shadow throughout the story but what breaks up this uh this tension is a lot of lightheartedness to it lightheartedness around the heists themselves kind of the comedic bickering between robert redford and paul newman uh and definitely paul on the paul newman side um he's 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 very charismatic he's very crappy hammy i don't know about hammy i wouldn't necessarily call him like true cowboy you know what i mean mm-hmm. uh so it was a different approach for it. Uh, this film, in the legacy of this film, it gets some flack uh, from the hardcore Western fans for being, uh, not my words, but hippie-ish. That it is a toned-down Western uh, to to create more of a lighthearted good time. And I, I, watching in the present day, I liked it because it was quite unique for that okay. reason. You know what I mean? If yeah. this is about finding unique experiences, I, I But felt- you would agree with that portrayal. Maybe not like you would say, okay, this is like... Mm. hippieized but it has a certain thing to it that does yeah i don't know maybe round round the rough edges off a little bit yeah it, it's I mean, granted it's about being you know outlaws so it's right. right off the back it's not trying to be a spaghetti western it's not trying to be a john wayne at the same time though i mean this is uh, seven years before josie wales which we covered on the on the first uh, western of, this, mm-hmm. of the podcast and i mean I don't know. Uh, it's 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 odd. It's it really feels like <laughs> strictly in the '60s. You know, what okay, I mean, even yeah. even even uh, a couple of years later, you're not getting a, a film like this, no less a western like this. Right. Okay. So. Very similar theme, like I said, what we covered in Jesse James. It is the end of the era, uh, I believe. Again, don't quote me exactly. I think it is right 1900s, maybe like 1902 or something like that. I yeah, I think it's basically known that it's just early 1900s, yeah, like exactly. very early 1900s, yeah. Exactly. And, and of course, you know, these are, like with most, um, historical figures, but also the legends and myths blur together for this. And that's, I think, a lot of the fun... If anything, uh, studying Westerns this month, um, it's been a lot of the fun unpacking truth and not that I'm going into a deep dive into the history of these individuals, but it's kind of right. it's kind of fun seeing where films are trying to take things seriously and historical and where they're trying to push just in for the narrative or creating characters on screen. Yeah, you know? definitely. Uh, it's something I don't feel happens um, with... You know, again, the, the not not to always circle back to it, but the two sides of the coin of Wayne and Eastwood, these stories. I mean, well, maybe more so John Wayne. You know, maybe there's some more historical type of stories that are told mm-hmm. with him. But. Not too much. Oh, he's done so much film, so obviously you can yeah, pluck sure. from it. Mm-hmm. But but honestly, mostly I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. You know, I mean, you have things like Chisholm, who was real, but mm-hmm. they definitely kind of did their own story on it a little mm-hmm. bit. But mm-hmm. that was real. I mean, he did the Alamo. I mean, there were things sure. where he took on like actual roles, but I feel like a lot was was definitely on film mm-hmm. for film almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and you know maybe you want that in in a Hollywood tale. For the decades that we've covered so far, I mean, Jesse James is definitely the outlier, but there's a lot of, there's lack of realism, you know what I mean? We're, ah, we're yeah. way before the gritty realism of, uh, you know, the 2000s or something like that, where that would be heavily respected, that research uh, into telling a hyper-accurate story. Yes, like yeah, that. yeah, definitely. So, 
but yeah, uh, like I said already, um, you know, these these legends, these outlaws are at their last days. I think uh, uh, the tone is a little bit counteracted by Paul Newman here. Uh, can't say I've seen a lot with Paul Newman. Obviously, he's a legendary uh, legendary actor. Uh, he's just very theatrical here. Um, it's it's very charismatic. I mean, he's enjoyable to watch on screen. And yeah. he's, 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 he is funny uh, when he's cracking jokes or kind of uh, giving slick talk. But um, I, I would say it's a particular note for me because I not once did I feel he was cowboy or outlaw. Mm, yeah. And if I really wanted to twist the knife, I didn't really feel like he was of the movie. You know, he was almost a star transplanted into the movie. You know what I mean? Yeah, uh, it's very much like, oh, there's Paul Newman dressed as a cowboy. <laughs> Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Where even someone like Robert Redford, there was almost a acquiredness, a quietness to him. Okay. Obviously, that plays into the role of the Sundance Kid. Uh, he's more of the gunslinger. Uh, uh, Butch Cassidy's more of the brains. There, there was there was a little bit of friction there for me uh, because I, I enjoyed watching him, but it wasn't exactly anything uh, true to maybe the role or true to maybe the material. Uh, I will say it's enjoyable seeing both of them on screen. Uh, in many ways, I think these this dynamic, like I said already, Bonnie and Clyde. Also, this feels like a, a proto blueprint almost for a buddy cop film, uh, as early oh, as yeah. it is. Yeah. Um, yeah, very interesting. It definitely uh, makes sense. Yeah, even even just watching how it's shot sometimes. Uh, buddy Outlaw, I guess it would, would be yeah, the, the story, story structure. <laughs> Action sequences are a real highlight for me here. Uh, the explosions and gunfights look particularly great. Uh, explosions and... and and gunfights. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I would have to look to a lot of action, uh, a lot of action films of that late '60s era. The many heists that this uh, film is comprised of, there is the script's not really concerned with the planning or getting us up to speed on the stakes of the thing. Um, the heist is kind of. They're just doing it. We almost see them, you know, successful in the moment uh, right. and, and getting it all done. And guess what? You know, they've been accomplished. You know, right, they, right. no one can really stop them. Uh, <laughs> and where in some films, I would want that detail. I would want that uh, problem solving with the characters yes. for the heist. Instead, the film kind of brushes by these heists. They're successful with it. And then it snaps to the focus of the relationship between Newman and Redford. And then as well, this this hit squad on their tail, which was a very enjoyable part. Yeah. And for that reason, it probably also keeps the pacing pretty well. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, it's something I wanted out of it was maybe a, a little bit more... I don't know, substance to it. I think for how quickly we dive into these heists, they don't feel significant. You know what I mean? They don't, they don't, they don't feel like intense. It's not where you could have situations where you're on the edge of your seat. Mm -hmm. You're kind of just blind, flying past them. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Uh, And I mean, good and bad, basically. Exactly. It's, it's definitely showing its age, I think, a little bit in in a lot of areas. Uh, The final shootout, though, is top notch. And I think this film helped me kind of call heads or tails on what makes a good Western. I think it's a, it's a, Maybe a magic mix between the editing, actual physical cover in the scene, and then line of sight. When it comes to this this scene of why those three pieces make sense, editing, of course, is quick cuts to make sure that mm-hmm. the the gun uh, the gunfire is snappy and, and uh, explosive. You know, I mean, it's 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 punctuated on screen. Cover, I think, is so important because so many of these westerns, you know, you're behind a barrel or you're you're shooting <laughs> and bullets are ricocheting. You know, I think it's important for the DNA of a of a western shootout because there is such a lethality 
to these bullets. You know what I mean? Medical it's, attention isn't going to be good. So I don't think they can even take a nick of a bullet right, in a right, lot of right. scenarios. <laughs> And then line of sight, I think, um, like with most action scenes, it's about the information we see as uh, on screen. And I think this final shootout, because it is so focused around the perspective of Butch Cassidy and, and Sundance Kid, the oppression uh, of who they're in this gunfight with is, is really great. You know, we only see certain angles of it, and there's little beats of surprises, you know, throughout the whole shootout. Right, I right. think that's the magic mix there. So maybe something we develop more. Obviously, there are plenty of Westerns to still watch. Yeah. And plenty of shootouts. So <laughs> I think that is is where I'm tuning into, though, on what's, again, heads or tails on, on a good shootout and not. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. I mean, when you're just watching it, it sounds like it's like, oh, this was well done. This is this is how it should be done here. Oh, yeah. 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 And, and a great payoff, too. Uh, I mean, all the action is really good in the film. And yeah. so was it the movie, was the movie like relatively, it was fine, but nothing great up until the end? Was it kind of a slow burn up, up until now? Or uh, No, I, if anything, I enjoy a lot how the movie's shot. Okay. Um, uh, the cinematographer here, the cinematographer here is uh, Conrad Hall. It's a very entertaining movie to watch. A lot of snaps, a lot of zooms, you know. Uh, again, it, we, we touched on it. Um, obviously, it was a 70s film, but we touched on it for uh, The Man Who Fell to Earth. Mm-hmm. That, you know, cinematography at the time, it, it was the Wild West, you know. They're just kind of trying out new things. They're trying out very, you know. Absolutely. Um, you know, it's not fixed camera, and they're really, they're really being adventurous with how it works here. And I think it works here because it feels... Uh, modern, how this film is 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 shot specifically, which is pretty awesome. Oh I mean, yeah, sixty nine. Yeah, so absolutely. And again, I, I I can't stress enough though. I'm maybe sounding lukewarm with this. This results in a very unique western uh, that. Yeah, you can maybe make a lot of comparisons story wise and structure wise, but the feel of it is is. Pretty great, you yeah. know what I mean? And, 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 and definitely worth your time. Another interesting use on the film is the film also features kind of a sepia, tea-stained uh, look to a lot of shots. Uh, and that's supposed to blend into the real-world photography at the time. Uh, I think that's just some it's serious... pretty cool. Bra- yeah, there's some brownie cool, points yeah. for me. Because at this time, again, uh, even later in the history of the West, there are actual pictures of Butch Cassidy. So, well, here, yeah, because yeah, it's, it's early 1900s, absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. And that, once again, is where I enjoy the blend of legend and history uh, with it. And I think uh, this film definitely has um, a, a good way to acknowledge that through these these tea-stained kind of look, this sepia. Uh, I actually don't know if it was called sepia back in the day. And I think that's, that's what we know as it now. Yeah, though. exactly. Uh, there isn't much of a score or soundtrack here. Uh, but the inclusion of uh, of modern music isn't isn't too great. Uh, pre- preferably, uh, raindrops keep falling on my head. It's just in one scene, and kind of definitely on that same note of Newman does not feel like a cowboy and outlaw. He feels like Newman on a on a film set. You know? <laughs> uh, so yeah, maybe folks at home, if you were a big Paul Newman fan, uh, or even maybe curious uh, uh, for the for a first time watching of what it is, I think he gets a positive marks for me, but a little bit in conflict, which I think with how much um, how much the story really does want to be a tale of. Butch Cassidy and, and Sundance Kid. Pacing as well, I think a bit of a miss. It's really more so, there's there's not enough urgency sometimes. That definitely ties into my critiques of the heist are quick and dirty. You know what I mean? They're, right, not, they're yeah. not really there to, you know, give you a lowdown. It's not heist planning. It's just kind of we see it happen. Yeah. 
Not too um, gripping. Yeah. Thankfully, though, the uh, the this chase plot that kind of comes through is, is is really good. It keeps it moving along. It was necessary. If this was not here, I would say this is probably a much lower ranking film for me. Okay. Uh, that was really the saving grace. Okay. But without a doubt, uh, I think this is a unique Western uh, for its time, certainly, uh, despite some criticism, and today, uh, watching it. Not necessarily for its story, but... A lot for filmmaking techniques and a lot of respect to the plot of, of, of these actual outlaw legends. This feels more modern than even something like Josie Wales, which is just seven years later. And for that reason, I think it's a good watch and worth your time. We're going to go ahead and give Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid a 72. All right, 72. You know, it's, yeah, it's an interesting story because I don't, I don't know what I would have guessed, honestly. Mm-hmm. I didn't really have a number in mind where mm-hmm. I thought you were going to land. But basically, were you, surpri- were you expecting it to be better? Yes. Like almost eight, maybe 80s just because of what we know this film, because we've heard about it. It's, exactly. It's the so Oscar-winningness of it, the, the sheer star power of Redford and Newman on screen. Yeah. You know, I was expecting a little and bit we more all know it. of it. You know, yeah. whether you've seen it or not, everyone's like, oh, Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid. Exactly. Absolute classic. Exactly. And, and in ways, I do think it is a classic uh, because of just right. how unique it is among the many, many Westerns of the time and before it. And maybe that's why it got such Oscar recognition at the time, because people saw this and say, whoa, this, this is, is not your average Western. Right. You know what I yeah, mean? yeah, yeah, for sure. I feel like watching it today, it's just, it feels a little bit unfocused. But yeah, by no. no means is the 72 illustrating that's a bad. No, 72, um, 72 is a good movie still. Yeah, I yeah, would say absolutely. well worth your time. Uh, I just feel like the 72 also illustrates that it, it does maybe show its age a touch and it does fall yes, short a yeah. tiny bit. Uh, okay. The legend, if you will. Very cool. Okay, so 72 for Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Uh, We're moving on to 1986. Uh, This is our trio again. This is Jim Abrams, David Zucker, and Jerry Zucker. First we had Airplane, then we had Top Secret. Now we have Ruthless People in 86, and we dropped the exclamation point off the title. (laughs) Yeah, actually important because they're not writing here, so that exclamation point is uh, (laughs) is kind of their their mark, I guess. Uh, So what do we get now with this, them directing, not writing? Uh, Super 80s film. Wow. Uh, okay. uh, I put this film, it, yeah. Yeah, put this film uh, uh, next to OG Top Gun, next to Return of the Living Dead. I mean, wow, was this like 80s. Almost to the point of like, the 80s weren't really like this. Like, <laughs> this, this is, this is it's oozing this and is dripping propaganda. with it. This is, <laughs> they're pushing consumerism or something, you know. Um, but uh, it really, it, amazing what two years will do to how a film uh, feels and how, how that change works. Uh, I'll say this, after watching this film... I, I I think I'm ready to to not throw in the towel, but I'm ready to say airplane was really just one of a kind, and and, and maybe it's good. You know, what I mean, I can't have these little dives into directors and writers without maybe getting a stumble uh, every now and again. Sure. You know what I mean, because I feel like sure. the things that I've wanted to watch in this format have been, you know, successful ratings wise. This, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I, we'll see what, we'll see what Naked Gun. We'll see. It might, maybe it's, a, they did Because <laughs> they're back writing, you know, and yeah. That's so true. Yeah. And they did make four Naked Guns, right? <laughs> Or something like absurd so. like that. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe it will be a nice surprise. Yeah, but what yeah. even is this? 
what's even the main premise of this? I'm not even sure if I'm aware of it. So it's it's an over the top comedy. It, it, I, I would call it more of a normal comedy, though. We lose the slapstick absurdist humor, uh, uh, and, and it really does feel almost like it feels like a, a '90s comedy, especially with Danny DeVito in this. And uh, wow, why can't I think? Uh, uh, Bette Midler is the you. main female. Yeah, thank you. Later on, in my notes, but yeah, both were great, but it felt like so so driven by those two. It felt almost very '90s to me. Okay. Um, in, in a way. Danny DeVito is our lead here. Um, his career is positioned between a long-time run on the show Taxi and uh, stand-up movies like Twins with Schwarzenegger. Oh, yeah, so yeah. This, is, <laughs> this is where he's at in his career. Um, he plays kind of a, uh, a vile fashion tycoon that is plotting to kill his wife, Bette Midler, uh, when she gets kidnapped by another scheming couple, uh, and this is to unknown to that couple, to Danny's delight. I enjoyed the the setup. There's also a, a third party involved in this that they're all trying to screw each other over. It's very scheming. If anything, it's very, yeah, I mean, it's way before Fargo, but it's kind of like a lesser version of Fargo you <laughs> every, know, yeah, without every, the Coen brothers. Everyone trying to get over on the other guy. Exactly. Yeah. It's very scrounging in the <laughs> dirt. Yeah. And and it's really not bad uh, in that regard, but it's it's totally missing any, any absurdity that we've seen, even in Top Secret. You know, I mean, I wasn't too big of a fan of Top Secret. Yeah. Uh, but we're missing almost entirely, and I think uh, more than than anything that we'll cover, even with Naked Gun, this is definitely an outlier for this director trio. Uh, it, it makes does sense. not feel in their identity at all. Makes sense so. if they're not the ones writing it, because exactly. it really was the writing that made those movies. Because mm-hmm. directing wise, there wasn't anything like yeah. too unbelievable. Or, sure, or sure. Top Secret. There was some, uh, you know, I mean, there there was some some cool sequences, like that sequence in reverse. Yes. Uh, yeah, I remember. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but um, yeah, just this this feels a little bit more plug and play if I really want to be critical mm-hmm. it could be cutting a check you know I mean <laughs> so <laughs> um, what exactly the jokes themselves we're not getting a shotgun blast is this more like I, I don't know it's weird to say standard movie mm-hmm. but would you say that Airplane and Top Secret were so kind of stand out with just the onslaught of jokes kind yes, of yes so is it just kind of plain jane for that uh, yeah reason? It, it feels like your average uh actor and actress led comedy you know okay I mean? like we've said uh, before where ex- it just, yeah. yeah it feels you know danny devito and, and bet midler are the focus here um and they, they do a good job i don't think it's the funniest movie if anything it really shows its age quite a bit okay um, is it basically it, it's losing its absurdity oh and yeah. that's what made Airplane really so good absolutely because like you said it was just the onslaught the absurdity of it and the constantness of it yeah and, and I would I'm, I'm comfortable to say one of a kind yeah. as well yeah, you yeah. know what I mean as far as like how the jokes are done here you know Danny and Bet uh, and Bet really are utilizing their rated R uh, their, their R rating here to okay. tell a lot of dirty jokes uh, it's a lot obviously around the outrageousness that he was planning to kill her and then she got kidnapped so there's there's a you know a play along aspect actually come to think of it it's like a it's a proto Fargo it's also a proto Gone Girl as well <laughs> so, I mean I guess I guess Ruth with people is, uh, it all really stems sh- from here yeah, yeah it's the shoulders everything is built on but 
I, I, I think the, the my problem with it is that it's so character driven on these two, and it's so much on their shoulders that the supporting cast, like Judge Reinhold mm-hmm. or, or Bill Pullman, you know, they have comedic timing. You know, clearly, I mean, Judge Reinhold is, I believe, goes on to Beverly Hills Cop not too long after this. Okay, I don't know. Um, it feels like the uh, Danny and Bet got all of the best jokes in the writing, and it's not enough to hold up the whole film. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, it's a little hard because, uh, if anything, this is the type of movie where I don't like talking about comedies because I don't have a particular overwhelming you know, analysis. I mean, if I really took a scalpel to every joke, it's kind of just ruining the whole experience. Right. No, for sure, know? for sure. Um, and, pe- and comedy is something that is so... It is so particular to that to each individual Absolutely. person. Absolutely, but in general, you can get a feel for it. For yeah, sure. yeah. I, I think in ways this film is at least a middle of the road watch for me because it was a little bit of a time capsule. There is maybe a a new comedy in the outrageousness of how eighties it feels. Mm, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so in that that kind of has a a new agelessness to it. Sure. Um, because it, that that is almost a joke in itself. How wild everything looks. <laughs> Uh, and I and again I, I enjoy the performances here, but um, I mean as far as Danny goes, it's kind of like just watch Matilda, and as far as Bet goes, just watch Hocus Pocus. You know what I mean? Hmm. I think there's yeah. better versions of these even type of performances they're trying to do as bad a, people. You know, I think that's a great note to make. Absolutely, yeah. I I, I think there was there was wasn't finding anything that was actually laugh out loud uh, for me. Not necessarily a bad film, but very dated in its style, and I don't feel it's unique enough in its uh, comedic timing to make me recommend this above middle the road uh, another slight miss for the trio but let's hope naked gun can bring it all home uh we're gonna give ruthless people a 53 oh wow so so just a hair above top secret uh yes uh, That's ve- very shocking. different very very different reasons why those two are you know? okay That's i think really surprises me actually yeah it almost seems like you enjoy top secret more yeah i think top secret has more more ballsiness okay. to, it, to it, but also more bad with more, it. Okay. <laughs> where, where Ruthless People was more so like, there's nothing really bad, but there's nothing really great. Yeah, either. okay. So, um, Okay, yeah, so 53 for Ruthless People. We have, you know, stay tuned for next week where we have our last... <laughs> the conclusion. We have the conclusion, which is probably now I'm most excited for. <laughs> right, right. Uh, okay, so like you said, you kind of watched the second Western this week because you were feeling it, and yes. Johnny Depp was on the mind. So this is 1995. This is the black and white movie Dead Man, mm-hmm. and I I have not seen this, but I, I know certain clips from it, and I oh, know yeah. like, even like a musical performance by him in it. Oh yes, yes, um, uh, because Neil Young is is heavily, heavily featured on the on the on the score. Right, uh, right. Composing here. So. Um, so what do we get with Dead Man, and how does this shape up to be you know a classic western or its own kind of story? Yeah, I, I mean, bottom line, I, I enjoyed this quite a bit. Uh, very unique western. I would almost call it, and this this may be a turnoff for some, uh, but an art house western in, in ways. Uh, last time. We we, we talked about Jarmusch. It was covering his film Patterson. With Dead Man, we jump back much earlier in his career, though, uh, in the heydays of him filming segments for Coffee and Cigarettes, and as well... Um, oh, this uh, is the guy. Yeah, yeah. This wow. Is and, and this is, uh, you know, a lot of collaboration with Tom Waits for music videos and, and things like that, so... Um, he certainly loves his black and white. Uh, yeah, <laughs> he really does. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, it's with coffee and cigarettes. Yeah, it's yeah. a defining feature as well. 
We make a similar jump back for Johnny Depp too. This being only a you know a few films in uh, for him, he initially plays a man out west swindled on a job. Um, but then it, I mean, the film really spirals and transforms into a, a character transformation for Johnny uh, that has him slinging guns as an outlaw by the end. And I think this this transformation was very enjoyable because similar to me, <laughs> you know, I wasn't really expecting like a true, true Western. It, it, the film transforms in such a way that it becomes that and it's very enjoyable for that reason. Okay. I thought it was really cool. Okay. Um, I like the sound of that. Yeah. Uh, like I said, it's almost art, ho- art house Western. Uh, I really was not expecting it. It is a huge upside though because it's... I mean, it is 100% the most unique Western I've seen in a very long time. Wow, really? Uh, yeah. Huh. It's, it's a little, I, I would say the, the film feels a little bit amateurish in parts, uh, and I like to give that maybe as a, as a preface because this is earlier in Jarmusch's career. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, this, this feels amateurish in ways where there's just, just quality of sets, complexity of what's on screen, what's being juggled. However, it doesn't feel amateurish in the slightest because Jarmusch is pulling from his vast amount of uh, celebrity friends uh, for this to have cameo appearances in here. Okay. Kind of one-off characters, which we'll, which we'll get to in a little bit then. And we should know that he's writing it as well. Yes. Yeah. So this uh, is really his baby. Oh, yeah. His baby. And, and I think probably that writing is so... Integral what, to why it's yeah. also good. Uh, it's... Um, it's it's just as defining as a Tarantino dialogue or a Coen Brothers dialogue. Wow, he's that unique. Kind of. oh, he's got yeah. that feel. Yeah, there's wow. um it's like I don't know, it's it's like conversations with an objective. Uh you know, these these characters, mm-hmm. the scenes they're dedicated to, they're just kind of talking, you know, but eventually that talking leads to somewhere where the scene wants to get across. At first, and, and maybe if you're not used to this, or uh, maybe at worst, folks, if you're not a fan of a Tarantino or Coen Brothers for some reason, um, this would feel maybe a little bit like wasted time on the screen, but it is the point of it. Hmm. You know, he's trying to have us dip our toes into side characters, and, and again, there's a certain level of enjoyment that these side characters are are celebrities. We can just talk about it. Um, Iggy Pop is on here. You're, you're so uh, right about that coffee and cigarette. Like mm. He likes his, like you said, his celebrity friends. Yep, yep. Because uh, Iggy Pop did, did a coffee and cigarettes yep. as well. Uh, Billy Bob Thornton is in this. Uh, we have Alfred Molina. Uh, there's there's actually the the scene with Billy Bob and Iggy Pop are, are great. <laughs> they play like like these old west hillbillies but Iggy Pop's wearing like a dress and he's talking about like a Roman emperor <laughs> and it's 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 very good it's very good uh and I think part of the enjoyment just to, if I had to do a, a, a pitch for it folks uh, though these conversations sometimes feel aimless in this in this film it's fun having it's fun Seeing how it snaps into uh, the plot uh, and how it, how it then takes a, a turn and kind of readjusts readjusts its trajectory to get us back on track for it, even if it seems like a, a side uh, aspect. Yeah. There. So for a second there, you're you're watching the film and you're like, this is really getting away from itself almost. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. But it, it it does snap back. Right. And, it's purposeful. And exactly. Yeah. That, yeah. that really is his style. So uh, definitely one of the most defining features of this film is the score being composed. And I really mean composed by Neil Young. These are not featuring his songs, uh, not a single song. It is him 
composing over what I would imagine, you know, is the, the actual film footage, and he's just playing guitar and having, not like an orchestra, but a band behind sure. it in the studio. Huh. I straight up love it. Uh, it was so cool. Did he, and is it westerny? Yeah. Does it, it take cues? Um, it definitely feels film? just like Neil Young on his, on his electric guitar. Oh. Uh, yeah, I, I don't feel like there's any kind of... Um, I don't know. I could be wrong. He, it doesn't he co- feel themed at all. No, no. It feels very much like Neil Young <laughs> had a Western score pushed through him. Okay. You know? <laughs> uh, but it's a cool project for him because because it's such a prevalent electric guitar feel, um, you get a, a Morricone, you know, spaghetti Western feel to it, but still having its own identity, yeah, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and the most importantly, if you say it, it definitely fits. Yes. It fits in the setting. It fits mm-hmm. with the scenes. Yes. Okay, all right. Uh, and there's this, this film, like I said, uh, around um, maybe some of the more a- amateurish elements. The film is is very pure in just trying to achieve some badassery uh, in, in the Western setting. Uh, and I think this is, you know, uh, the the greatest on display in Neil Young's score here because it is it, it's it's a badass you know electric guitar uh it does feel western it does also feel like Neil Young is just doodling on his guitar sometimes but it does create its own identity it works and, uh, yeah very similar to why you know guitar works or, or rather a guitar driven score works in anything spaghetti western anything Ennio Morricone you know something like that yeah yeah definitely yeah. cool cool um but uh yeah, this is good to hear yeah I don't yeah. know why I don't know I don't know when you think western or anything like that even when you think of Johnny Depp films this kind of falls oh yeah off the radar for it a lot is. of people and i've seen this come up multiple times mm-hmm. you know even like on netflix or something like that over the mm-hmm. years and it's just like because it wasn't talked about or well known it's like well this is obviously it's not a good film yeah so it's really yeah. this is this is a nice little surprise to hear yeah i think it's a cool project for jermoosh it's a cool project for uh, all the actors involved mm-hmm. and, and and neil young i mean i think it's just it's it's a, a very unique film for 95 and i i was coming very positive with it for that reason does the black and white help it hurt it or it doesn't affect the film, good or bad. I would say it doesn't affect the film. Uh, it's a it's a negative mark for me because it 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 didn't. I, I don't know why it needed to be in black and white. Mm-hmm. Besides him, just like you know, Jarmusch liking to work with black and white. Right, right. Um, but I would say, yeah, nothing of substance. And I was definitely looking to see if there was any kind of substance. I mean, maybe there is because there are some sets that are very simple. I wouldn't say budget, but. You know, again, it, it's not like a bit, bit smaller scale. Yeah, you don't feel a lot of money behind this. Production. Yeah, okay, sure. Maybe the black and white was also used to kind of create some cohesion. You know, what I mean, uh, you know, if, if maybe and, in color would would show some ugly spots to the production. Yeah, potentially. It, I don't know. Maybe, and obviously, we're just here to watch the films. Sure. But if we went into Jim Jarmusch a little bit, maybe we would learn that because he also does it with coffee and cigarettes. There are just guys, especially closer to back then, that love black and white more. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, it was a big proponent of, especially when it comes to westerns. Mm-hmm. A lot of those old school western guys really did not like color being introduced. Oh yes, for, yeah, even for shadow work, for just the picture itself. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's he loves black and white. Sure, and I think you bring up a great point because maybe that in itself is all you need to be crafting a western. That it's a nod to an older style of film, an older mm-hmm. story right, of right. a film, you know, so, or, or story structure to a film. Right. So, I would say uh, this film is a gets 
very positive marks for me, though, because uh, Jarmusch's writing style is on great display here. Uh, if I had to choose a pocket pocket example over coffee and cigarettes, this would be my go-to for his writing style. It's very conversational. It's kind of comedic as well because naturally people will be talking and there'll be some jabs in there or there'll just be some like light jokes it's witty. in there. Yeah. It's, it's witty dialogue, yes. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I don't really know what his writing style would be called. I, I would call it, you know, again, conversations with an objective, maybe sketch conversations if I wanted to give it a, a, a label a unique to the podcast. It features just such wild characters. Again, uh, we go back to the segments of you know, very Tarantino, very Coen Brothers that we get these bit roles out of nowhere. But, you know, despite Jarmusch not being on that level, even in 95, or maybe especially in 95, he still is able to pull some star power with who his friends are or, or these connections. His connects, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so, uh, again, uh, Billy Bob Thornton and Iggy Pop came out of nowhere and really is a very enjoyable part. I mean, it's outlandish, but they're these, like, psychotic hillbillies. And <laughs> it's, it's just great. <laughs> But I would say where this film is maybe uh, a little bit cut and honestly has been a theme for nearly every Western that we covered on the podcast is just a little bit of pacing. I think this film no doubt would be in the 80s if it was cut to an oh. hour and 40. Wow. Uh, I think it just... And it's about two, yeah, two hours and one minute. So yeah, yeah. yeah. It, just, it just needs a touch bit of fat to trim. And if anything, just to illustrate this a little bit better... Uh, as much as I loved Neil Young's score, if anything, that even overstays its welcome a little bit because we hear kind of repeat. Electric, it's overused. Yeah, electric guitar doodles or, or motifs. If you really want to be sure. you know, fancy with his composing, it's it, you know it, the whole film has just a little bit of fat on it, and and I just I think man, if it was just cut down slightly ever so much, I mean obviously some of that does play into these side conversations and these side characters. What's there is so enjoyable because, again, this film has one objective, and that is being a badass Western, and it's really enjoyable. Like, it, I, I, I love it. It's very surprising to hear. Yeah, yeah. In a, in a great way, yeah. Exactly. Especially for how art house it is. You know what I mean? There is yeah. almost a... a, a there's just something to it that um, you can feel. It feels that, like, a, like an A24 production almost? <laughs> uh, maybe not A24, but A24 meets... Uh, there's just there's just an emphasis on showing this transformation and having a fun gun tootin time in the West, <laughs> and there's a certain purity that comes with that simplicity. You know, I could really look at this film and say, "Oh, this is very amateurish," but I think there is a certain purity that comes with that. There, hmm. um, you know, uh, something absolutely worth your time, and I would say, you know, fat to trim or not, it it is it is something that I, I want to give a, a solid recommendation for the critical thinking for me. This this week, and maybe the crisis I was having is: Do I enjoy this film more than the legendary Butch <laughs> oh Cassidy? God, so, true. <laughs> so I was, I was like, "Oh my God, what are we doing here?" Oh boy! Uh, but uh, I, I think both films, oddly enough, I, it was a unique pairing, and again, uh, totally by accident. Both films show their age quite a bit, um, but where I could compare the structure and characters of Butch Cassidy to a lot of different peers, not necessarily in style but in the the roles and the characters themselves i think this western this film stands alone with itself uh we're gonna go ahead and give dead man a 75 i can't believe that <laughs> wow. 
Okay. Man, a 75 for this film. I am yeah. more than shocked. Yeah, both, I really am. I'm really more than shocked. And, and, both very good westerns. And Honestly, it's great to hear that this... I don't know. I feel like we have to watch more Jim Jarmusch now. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't have too much. Um, That's crazy. A lot crazy. of sketch, a lot of music videos. <laughs> I think we should... Yeah, we mentioned Coffee and Cigarettes so many times. Mm-hmm. Coffee and Cigarettes are little vignettes almost. Yes. They're little five to ten minute segments mm-hmm. where... How would you describe it? I would say two kind of unlikely... People that maybe wouldn't yep. actually cross paths sit down, have a conversation, and usually in a diner or something yeah. like that. Yeah, and it's black and white, and, and it's it, it very much blurs the line between is this a is this a script or is this not? You know, uh, yeah, and it's witty. It's it, and it's just straight dialogue. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so if anybody would, uh, go and check that out, Coffee absolutely. And, cigarettes. and and again, like I said, if if you want more of a story structure and a, a unique western with his writing style, this is a great pocket pocket example of that. I really would point to this almost over coffee and cigarettes because you get an actual story if you will it could be a good precursor to who this guy is though sure the writer you know jim jermush and everything Mm -hmm. like that Mm -hmm. man i just yeah this is now three westerns we've done that are really quite different westerns but yes yes you know you're you're enjoying them for the most part with jesse james with this Mm -hmm. and well and even with with butch cassidy as well yeah absolutely and i I think that's what's been enjoyable this month because where maybe maybe some of my um Preference uh, for sci-fi's over westerns, if you will, <laughs> comes from is that it's per, you know predictable stories or, or predictable elements, you know, kind of been there, done that stuff, uh, and I cannot really say that for. Yeah, these are very much westerns, yeah. all with their own unique flavor. Absolutely, yeah. almost almost genre bending flavor. To yeah, it. and honestly, I think you know if people are going to forget about Butch Cassidy or something like that with the seventy two compared to Deadman with seventy five. It's so important to say like this is in the here and now. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not watching mm-hmm. this film for the first time back when it was made, and it's mm-hmm. like really, how do these films hold up? Yeah, and I and I think that these scores are representative of that, especially with the way you're talking about them. Yeah, and just as a last note, if I could stress anything, I mean, believe me, uh, allow me to allow me to definitely emphasize that this film. Film feels just as dated for being a 95 film as Butch Cassidy felt right. like being a late 60s film. Right, right. Uh, and I'm taking both into that kind of consideration for that as well. So Awesome. Well, I love it. And a, a great surprise. I can't wait to watch it. Dead Man with, with a 75%. Uh, that's great to hear, Vin. So far, the highest ranking Western. Uh, and it wasn't even on the oh, initial no, plan. That's right. <laughs> it was just like, all right, we'll watch this one. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, all right, Vin, that's awesome. Now we have two more films coming up that are new releases now in theaters but before that we're going to go ahead and do our producer segment here and we're going to remind everybody that we're all at the value for value system and we do have a producer this week and we mm. want to give a shout out and a thank you to luke gaiman oh and luke you are the producer of this episode and the producer in general of the daily ratings podcast we want to thank luke and he wrote in a small note here he said you guys make my commute to work such a joy i've seen so many fantastic new movies because of y'all keep it up oh wow thank you so much yeah, which luke. is great and luke we're, we're happy that you're uh, enjoying it and we should know that he gave a he gave a space odyssey donation which mm. is our first space odyssey which is basically 2001 pennies that's so <laughs> 20 dollars and one cent and it's the uh, the Space Odyssey donations. We'll make sure to cash it out in pennies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's awesome. Uh, thank you for the Space Odyssey donation, Luke. Uh, and we thank you for the note that you wrote in as well. Thank you for so much for producing the Daily Radio. Absolutely. And glad to hear that, you know, especially something mundane as a... Uh, as a you know, a commute or something like that, if you get an enjoyment out of it. Certainly, if you're watching new movies, uh, very happy to hear. That's great. To, yeah. And that's what that's so great to hear that people, we, we tackle something sure. and people enjoy, you know, 
they listen to it on Wednesday morning to the way to work, yeah, you know, when yeah. this comes out. And yeah. then, you know, they're watching the movie in that week as well. So that's awesome, Luke. We thank you. Thank you for being with us. Thanks for producing. And for folks at home, what, what this is, it's, it's this is our, obviously our producer segment. We go off the value for value model. We are completely producer supported. Do you find value in what you're hearing, what you're seeing on the website? If you could stop by the website, go to the donations tab and through any monetary value that you feel that you're getting, uh, go ahead, go ahead and send it our way. And we appreciate it so much. You can write in a note just like Luke did and you could ask questions. You can, you can make comments, uh, crit- grill me, critiques, you know? <laughs> whatever. Yeah. It could be as long, you know, it doesn't have to be a short note here. It could be as, as long as you want within reason and and we're going to read it because you know we think your voice should be heard if you're going to take time to go ahead and produce the daily ratings and most importantly we want to hear from you big time yeah it's a through line to you it is direct communication with you you know we want to stay away from corporate advertising we don't want to deal with that we don't want to deal with tier structures or paywalls really mm. um, much like a uh uh, Patreon, yeah, Patreon, exactly like that. Yeah. like that. You know, obviously, if it's here, if you want to listen to it, but really, to keep this going because it takes so much time and and, and a little bit of money as well, we can only do it for so long. Mm-hmm. So if you are getting value, we appreciate it if you go to the dailyratings.com and head to the donations tab. All right, and with that, Vin, we're just going to keep it going here. And we're going to move on to the two that are in theater. Now, yes. Now, this first film technically is a 2021 release. However, um, that was the Japanese release. Yeah, there was. I think it was a release in 2021. Then there was a small release in February as well. This is now finally the States release this week. Yes, and the English dubbed version, basically. Uh, yes, both. Yep. Yeah. So this is The Deer King. And what do we get with this uh, anime, with this animation film? Mm-hmm. Uh, what is it about? And... And how is it? Yeah, absolutely. So the the anime studio here is Production IG. Uh, For those of you that are unfamiliar with the anime industry, uh, this studio has, um, I mean, Production IG is something to always keep your eyes on. Um, They, of course, do Ghost in the Shell, FLCO, uh, Pat Labor, uh, you know, a huge amount of... uh, a huge amount of heavy hitters uh, in the anime sphere. I was just going to say, these these guys are heavy hitters. Oh, like, absolutely. And, and have been around, you know, since, you know, uh, early, you know, late 80s, early 90s, and just been killing it. You know, I mean, Ghost in the Shell is, is prolific mm-hmm. uh, as yeah, far as yeah. anime goes. Uh, for those still clueless as far as what we did and crossed paths with them on the podcast, um, probably has been mentioned uh, once or twice, but the anime uh, sequence in Kill Bill Volume 1 was done and penned by Production IG, and we also covered them in a few different sequences for the Animatrix back in the Matrix episode and in December. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, their studio did, I think, at least two uh, in Animatrix. Are those little... Uh, yes. Like, again, vignettes, vignettes I'll use. Yep, yeah, yeah. Yep. Little, little, little short stories, anthology, you know. Uh, and as far as Animatrix goes, I mean, they covered the second Renaissance, which is the coolest one, you know. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, so, man, <laughs> it was a visual feast. Our, our main character here for the Deer King uh, is Van, our typical stoic anime hero. Uh, and then Yuna, uh, the probably most adorable baby girl in, in film this year. Uh, she, she, she's adorable. Um, the story follows van really fathering Yuna. Uh, It's a very heartwarming story uh, amidst the outbreak of a mystical fever uh, that is transmitted by the bite of wolves. This is a full-on fantasy. Um, I wouldn't even really call it an adventure because it's like a fantasy... 
not family film. There's definitely there's definitely some serious violence, and I wouldn't necessarily show this to the youngest. Yeah, it's of rated kids. R. Yeah, it's got the American rating of rated R. Yeah, yeah. I, I I just I just think there's a an interesting balance for how heartwarming this story is, and, and trying to tell a story about fatherhood, or maybe even a second chance at fatherhood, mm-hmm. and then just being very deep into a a plain, very deep into a fantasy story, and being concerned with telling a low fantasy story. Well, I'll get into a little bit of that description of what's high fantasy, low fantasy, because this is really the first time we've covered this on the on the podcast. This type of split. Uh, Van himself, as a character, seems to be some sort of war hero in ex- in exile, and this ties into a little bit of a generic plot uh, in the B plot surrounding nations in war and you know fantasy politics and whatnot. Which uh, honestly, folks, I was ready to roll my eyes at. Uh, you know, it really wasn't right. like you know stellar or anything like that but luckily it's put in there it's a little bit of sprinkling of world building and we're back to this this story about fatherhood and this plague uh that's going on right now uh, i i think i like i said i would describe this as low fantasy just folks at home high fantasy that is magic elves uh you know mystical uh, armor you know sword in the stone type of stuff where low fantasy would be something more like Actual medieval living conditions, little to no magic, you know. Uh, I really like that distinction. Yes. Yeah. I really like that distinction, yeah. yeah. I think that makes sense because fantasy does cast a wide net. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, this is definitely on the low side. I mean, there are uh, spiritual elements to it, as there is almost with every anime. Uh, <laughs> That's so true. Uh, but uh, it, this is not concerned with, uh, you know, a wizard casting a fireball. Uh, this is, you know, this is very much a, a farming tale and nations you know fighting over very little land you know there there's there's a, a low aspect uh, to it uh, that that I think is a good way to kind of preface this and in going into this, uh, especially with anime, because you know, especially if you're even maybe maybe specifically if you're not used to watching anime, you don't know what you're in for. And I think the groundedness yeah, you can be of this, into anything, yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, Ando, one of the directors here, of course, worked on uh, Paprika, uh, which we are a fan of on the show. Uh, a wild movie, a wild movie, yeah. yeah. But if anything, I bring it up because it this is very very grounded. And again, yeah. uh, I think I was in love with it for trying to tell this second chance at fatherhood type of story in, in the midst of a fantasy environment. Yeah, do you think that something like this, the splitting of, you have moments of serious and maybe intense, that mm-hmm. rated R, mm-hmm. but then you have this heartwarming side of it, mm-hmm. um, is it so important that it's done through anime, that, that it really can capture mm-hmm. something that maybe live action just couldn't do? I, I think it looks phenomenal. Um, it's tough. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I think where I was maybe thankful for this being in animation uh, and also seeing this in the original Japanese as well, uh, at least from my viewing of it, the child Yuna uh, very easily could be annoying in live action, where you can tell because of the animation she is <laughs> right. Even, of course, yeah, it, it is. It is cutest. Uh, she, it, there's the characters being able to translate to screen better. Because yeah, I think yeah. Of those elements, you know, I absolutely. Mean, for for the anime fans out there, that's the Studio Ghibli tears. You know, what I mean, there's there's something there's something you know magical about it almost. Uh, what mystical? What little mystical elements are there? Uh, I really do think look fantastic and are highlighted by this de-emphasis of low fantasy. Van goes through a lot of spirit visions, which visually break up the muddy, realistic tones. 
The wolves themselves that carry this plague have kind of a tidal wave of muck, uh, very reminiscent of Princess Mononoke and, and, and other fantasy staples in the anime genre. The wolf fever uh, in this also kind of takes a back seat in some spots. I really wish they would have leaned into it more, but this wolf fever seems to evoke a lot of symbolism around COVID, uh, which I thought was... Wow. Uh, interesting that we have this being tackled. Yeah, because this was definitely all the pre-production and the writing, I'm sure, has been mm-hmm. on for years, probably. Oh, like, definitely yeah. like pre-COVID, correct? Absolutely. And if you want to yeah. talk about uh, the the actual impact that COVID had on the Japanese animation industry, I mean, they were shocked by it. Yeah, they yeah. really shook to the core as far as their production schedules and how do you how do you work with an animation team for, you know, cell or even digital animation, you know, from home or mm-hmm. anything like that. So now, how was that watching now that we're post COVID? Was it like, oh, more of this? Like, come on, I'm trying to get away from if what's it, been going on. Sure, that could definitely be, I think, some reaction to audiences that they say, uh, you know, do I really need this in my fantasy? I want escapism. Right. You know, yes. I I loved it because much like a sci-fi will look at a topic through a sci-fi lens. Very similarly, this was taking a fantasy lens and looking at the topic. Okay. You know, don't get me wrong, it is still literal shadow dogs <laughs> delivering this. <laughs> so I'm maybe, I'm maybe creating a little bit of a, a, of a misunderstanding here. I bet it's going to be in everybody's mind. Uh, if you're dealing yes. with some sort of plague, sickness, illness, epidemic, yeah. it's just like it, it's, it's going to be like, okay, yeah, uh, you know, yeah. oh, I've seen this before in real life. Yeah. Uh, and and there, there's a certain tastefulness about it. I, I I think it's not like they're even calling it COVID or anything like that, but there's there's a lot of of, of symbolism that it's it's trying to create. Uh, for instance, the workers are afflicted first. Um, cloths are over the mouth. In, in re- obviously the replacement of masks, mm-hmm. um, the wolf bites create an infection in the chest, to p- despite where they're bitten <laughs> elsewise. <Good point>. So. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, people are going to be thinking it's just like it's replacing with bats, and there you go. Yeah. Here we are. <laughs> exactly. It's really much much of a fantasy yes, anymore. Yeah. Bats and purple muck. You know? But that is interesting. The similarities, even though this was pre all of mm-hmm. that. Yeah, I-, I found appreciation for it because, again, you know, not not even putting. Uh, my own thoughts are or over the narrative or anything like that. The, mm-hmm. the, the allegory was it was clearly there, and I think um, it, it was it was refreshing for the reason of again I would respect it in a sci-fi. So using fantasy as a lens to tackle that. Yeah. Great. And I think as well, uh, seeing this as a wide uh, animation release, no less something as the size of production IG as the studio, I think no doubt this was on the mind of the production team. I mean, Japan was shocked by this, and animation industry was was even more shocked to the bedrock of it. Yeah. So. I just want to make a note there as well, mm-hmm. because this is has a proper wide release, correct? Uh, yes. Said. Now is the wide release, I believe. Uh, yes, yes. Yeah. But there was something that we did, and I forget the name of it, but there was another one that came out. And you were so excited because, wow, it's, it, there's a light being shown on it. And yep. it kind of just was flapping in the wind a little bit. Yep, yep. Barely talked about in media or anything yep. like that. Yep. Um, was this, it sounds like this was scratching that itch a little bit more oh, or doing a better job. And you read my mind. I mean, yeah. uh, I have notes of how disappointed I was with Bell, you know. Bell, right, right. Uh, and we covered that back in January. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it just, I, I'm so thankful <laughs> when there's actually something decent anime-wise. And, again, wide the release. Wide re- it's a big deal. Yeah. It's a big, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, you know, I mean, there's, you know, um, this is not a given, you know, especially for anime fans. But I, I love it because for folks at home that specifically are not anime fans, guess what? You now have a gateway drug. You now have an entry point mm-hmm. to this. Yeah, so, that's it, definitely. You know, wide releases are important for, you know, the development and, and how we consume any kind of film. So. I would say shooting yourself in the foot would be rated R. Uh, true. But is that Very gore true. and violence in it? Is it necessary for the film? Does it does it help slice the feel good enough? It, it, it it's good because I I think for one a fantasy it needs that okay. a little bit, especially because it's low fantasy. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Uh, someone's, you know, we, we've someone's, never used that term before, and I'm really liking it. Yeah. I uh, think it's very important to make that distinction. And I don't know if it's like a super common term, but I've definitely heard that that separation. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. I like it. Uh, and I think it's good because it, it creates, you know, I mean, there, there's no magical creatures, you know, I mean, there's no there's no elves yeah. in this or anything like that. Yeah. So. But where I have to give credit most, and, and like I've, I've, I've hinted at already, I mean, the story's commitment to Van having this second chance at fatherhood through Yuna, uh, it, it, it was really great. Uh, I, again, I was, you know, as soon as they started talking about these nations and war and, and Van being a, a former soldier and whatnot, I was just like, okay, I mean, this is really, you know, cookie cutter stuff for mm anime and also just film in general um but i can't stress enough it's it's certainly not the best aspect it's just sprinkling there for some world building some context as well to the pressures that this plague is having on the larger uh, on a larger picture and uh, we snap right back to what the film is about which is this uh, this kind of this this fatherhood there and uh, i really enjoyed it for that reason uh, an anime well worth your time uh, and i like uh, as tom read my mind over uh, i cannot tell you how disappointed i was back in january when we covered bell i mean this is the first wide release anime i get to cover on the podcast with no less a great director i love mm. and it sucks i mean oh it was the the disappointment was immense yeah definitely uh, so uh, I mean, this this film uh, might take a little bit of work to see in theaters, but give it a shot whenever you happen to come across it, whether that be online or in theaters for this wide release. We're gonna go ahead and give The Deer King a seventy-one. Seventy-one is a great, it's a very good score. Yeah, this was this was a good week, a good week. Yeah, and that's good. And would you say this is a good gateway? I think so. Or because should, or maybe should, should you start somewhere else with this production company or? or you know. I, I think there's definitely better that production IG has done. Sure, um, sure. But I do think this is a good gateway, and I think why it maybe gets into that 70s for me is because there is... It's not, wow, this is like anime. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, I have to almost clock it back to like what is going to shock people to the point that they want to turn away. You Especially know? when you're new to anime. Exactly. Which I think a lot, a lot of people are, because it's really... It's almost like, oh, you're into anime, and you're mm-hmm. with it, and you know what the deal is, right. or you're not. Right. Or right. you're out of it. So it is important to get something that can... That can is a good movie for a wider audience, mm-hmm. and it sounds like it's doing a good job at that. And very important, Absolutely. you know, people have to understand that Japan's national film mm, is an anime film. Fireflies. Yeah, yeah, and, and and not really a a an anime as you would come to know it. You know, what I mean, it's a very realistic <laughs> yes, story. Sure, you know? sure. So maybe in a similar way to your point, the low fantasy, the lack of magic, lack of fantastical elements to it. Yeah, uh, that is again, I think, a good starting point that you can kind of consume wonderful animations. I mean, mm-hmm. production IG does it no better, you know. It's, it's a good That's watch. That's good. This, yeah, I'm glad that you were coming out of that positive. I'm sure for your own sake, <laughs> oh you, you were just pleased. I know, I know. <laughs> 
you know, just and I, I think it would be great to do some anime specials, you yeah. know, something like that too, yeah. because I think it's something that people are just nervous about. Bec- not nervous about, but it's like people think that they're going to go and just watch a cartoon, mm. and it's like no, mm-hmm. there's real good storytelling sure, in some sure. of these films. Yeah, and yeah. I think there's such cross pollination that can happen from someone that is a diehard Pixar fan and appreciates, oh. you know, what is done on an animation level, you know, and uh, even like this is rated R. Sometimes, you know, just because it's an animated film, you know, mm-hmm. adults have a have a place in the room. Sometimes it's yeah. for adults. Absolutely. Which Absolutely. is pretty cool. Uh, but awesome. That's 71 for The Deer King. We're on our last film here. I don't know. I guess I would call this the biggest film that kind of came oh, out this yeah. week. Oh, big, yeah. Big book movie. Yes, yes. Uh, so we're going to go ahead. This is Where the Crawdads Sing. This is uh, directed by Olivia Newman. Mm-hmm. And what is this kind of... What does this movie entail? And, and how did it work? Yeah, so uh, Where the Crawdads Sing is a... Um it is a, uh, I would say, romance first. This is billed as mystery thriller, uh, but I cannot stress enough that this is romance first and then mystery and then thriller. I would say <laughs> that that romance was really key to understanding this film. And um, this is also a, a hugely popular book. Um, this is no doubt the biggest book we have covered in 2022, or I'm sorry, biggest book movie uh, in 2022. Uh, maybe not for the podcast because you know I'm partial to Dune, uh, but <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. Uh, but even, You're even right, Dune is probably yeah, it's nowhere near the sales of where the Crawl Dads sing. Oh um, no, no, no. Yeah, no, no, no. Dune would be way higher. Oh, okay. Oh, good. good. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> I, Dune, I, would, Dune, I would hope it's that way. Just but. because we talked about it, Dune is like a lot of required reading or unleading reading oh, sure, for schools sure. and everything like that. Yeah, and just a cult following behind it. Absolutely. Not saying that Crawl Dads doesn't. Yeah. But uh, and cult following is is really a great way to tune into that in 2018 this novel was was released and a, a hit release and then this was further fueled by covid restrictions in 2020 where mm. it had its sales and readers supercharged basically um and you know another two years later we now get the movie to it so who were the readers like what was that target audience basically so usually i don't dive this too this deep into production but apparently it was oh man i forget her name reese witherspoon uh, Reese Witherspoon on her uh, on her a show a daytime talk show mm-hmm. featured it and actually her production company had a play in making this film as well. Okay, and that's really what I think surged it into a again everyone was staying at home so there's a lot of TV watching but more of a housewife to young adult type of demographic of this yeah. romance and that's film. who's reading the books as well exactly right that's the cult that's exactly. that cult film okay yeah. Um, Not to call Michael, but you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Second time around, though, with Daisy Edgar Jones this year. We covered her in Fresh back in Q1. Uh, and this, um, she, she narrates and stars as Marsh Girl. <laughs> <laughs> I will be calling her Marsh Girl because they call her Marsh Girl in the film, so I like that. <laughs> a, a child abandoned by her family to grow up in the marshes of North Carolina. Uh, the time setting here is uh, 50s, 60s. I think we, we catch up um, by late 60s. Uh, almost her entire life is played out in flashbacks as in the present day a courtroom drama plays out Uh, there is a heavy heavy emphasis on romance in these flashbacks so much so that i question this film being marketed as a mystery thriller at all and my problems with the courtroom side is that it really is 
so inconsequential it's like uh, why do we wh- why would i even bother calling this a mystery thriller it's just <laughs> called a romance with some spice like a rom-drom basically yeah yeah exactly yeah, yeah. it's 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 tough <laughs> i'm definitely not the demographic here folks i would say my biggest problem with the film is that these two stories blend poorly and maybe this worked a lot better in written form you know i i will i will say i'd never read the book or anything like that it was not caught up in right. the wave of that maybe the blending of the story played out a little bit better. I think my problem with it is that not on the romance side, um, it's that the courtroom scenes probably get one-fifth of the screen time uh, in comparison to these very, very thorough flashbacks that, again, play out almost every beat of Marsh Girl's life. And when we finally get some time to dip in the courtroom scene, it plays out so super rushed and cartoonish. I mean, uh, folks, seriously, even the sl- the slightest grasp on law will drain these scenes of any dramatic tension. It is all flash, no substance, you know, in these courtroom scenes. And as far as that being the dramatic twist of the knife for the story, I was really, I had a problem with the whole conclusion of it. What I didn't necessarily have a problem with was the, you know, <laughs> the story is very concerned with just being a romance. So there's a lot of chatter online that this is new notebook, this is new Twilight. I would describe the romance as more of the <laughs> of more of the maturity of Twilight. Okay. Uh, Marsh Girl gets two different two separate love interests that kind of clash into a love triangle that um, is very very predictable. I mean, it's <laughs> okay. again, I'm not I'm not the demographic here, but it's <laughs> it's uh it, it reminds me the romance of itself does not remind me of the notebook. I think that's a uh, a misguiding aspect uh, coming into this film, especially if you have not read the book. It reminds me of the maturity of something like a Twilight, where you have this love triangle kind of playing out very petty, but also the the beat to beat moments of the romance on screen does not feel above surface level. Uh, it doesn't feel like it's super deep. You know, one guy's good, the other guy's a bad guy, and, you know, Marshall's got to choose between them. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's, that's all it is. You know, it's G- not... Generic and... Yeah. Nothing fresh or new, that's for sure. And where I'm like, uh, you know, believe me, I'm not going to die over the over the sword of the notebook, uh, but at least that's trying to tell a, a very arching story yeah. of, you know what I mean, uh, for sure. of, of true lovers, you know what I mean? This, this, this film isn't really concerned with that. What is so generic is that all these flashbacks boil down to the, the, the threat, uh, if you will, <laughs> I mean, really, uh, don't mean threat, but, you know, the, 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 the stakes of the film of Marshall girl choosing the wrong guy that's all it boils down to you know i mean it's it's not really not really complex there so (laughs) (laughs) like i said uh there's a lot of chatter online that this is new notebook i think this is far more juvenile and it's specifically because of the romance triangle Uh, finally when we get the dramatic turn of these two storylines meeting it's just a little bit too late and like i said i think the the courtroom drama side of this. I mean, if you understand even the slightest bit of how a courtroom works, I mean, I don't know. It's not dramatic, and by no means did I ever feel there were stakes to those scenes. So that being the destination for where the story goes, mm-hmm. it really had me had me snoozing on this one. Okay, uh, as far as the dramatic spin to it, then does that make sense? Oh yeah, I mean, it's this whole it's. Phew. Movie seems like a snoozer. It's a big old snoozer, is what it seems like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
and again, uh, I, I can't stress enough. I mean, I think the particular blending of these storylines, also the descriptions of the marsh uh, itself. You know, uh, the film puts emphasis on it visually, but this can be potentially much more of a standout in written form because the same sentences that are dedicated to the romance, the same amount of real estate could be dedicated to the details of the marsh or her uh, struggles in living in the marsh from a child to, to a young adult. I think there could be a lot there that could be appreciated. I think and go deeper, or at least more interesting, or more—I yeah. don't know—maybe even more raw or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Did this have TV movie vibes? Oh, for sure. Okay, for okay, sure. all right. Hallmark vibes. Yeah, 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 yeah. It just seems like even like the look and feel and style of the film is mm-hmm. quite. <laughs> yeah, this is not anything. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I guess I can give some praise to uh, the aspects of that, uh, the, the filming. They're filming, I believe, down in Louisiana, but it's supposed to be like these marsh in North Carolina. Yeah. There is a lot of emphasis on nature and uh, shots of nature. Uh, marsh Girl is a studier of, of the marshes around her, so there is some emphasis put into how she lives and how she studies uh, the nature around her. But again, I think in written form, I think this could be a standout yeah. and more enjoyable for a reader. More gripping. Yeah, hearing that detail that has been going gone into about the, the environment she's in, where it just kind of takes a back seat. And certainly this film is concerned with, you know, telling a hot and heavy love triangle romance. Yeah, you know I mean? yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's has a different priority, bottom line. I, I think something about the the thoroughness as well of the flashbacks really ate up any dramatic tension uh, to the film, and um, you know, again, that's that's where, if anything, I can I can say, you know, if you're going for a romance, this is this is something that you can watch. Uh, don't go in for a thriller. Do not go in for a mystery. You know, I was expecting some sort of, you know, <laughs> yeah, it's definitely built as Hardcore, a mis- mystery thriller drama. Yeah, no, no. I mean, I would say it's like. One it, it, eighth that, <laughs> you know, sprinkles. So be prepared. That's good. So people can be prepared of what they're walking yeah, into here. Yeah, and maybe readers of the story they understand that as well. Sure, you know, sure. they understand that. Uh, if anything, the the feverishness of this fan base was after the romance. You know, was was after the yeah wonder, the stay at home kind of escapism that happens with that type. Yeah, of Yeah, I wonder so. if like the the courtroom scenes were much more in depth and better though in the books. I mean, just yeah. or the plot and in, in general, who knows. Honestly, yeah. I mean, uh, this is actually a perfect example of what I hate about courtroom dramas and film. That it's just like you know, yeah, uh, something will happen that is dramatic and it will be objected to, but it still plays out in the feel of the film or the feel of the scene like the jury is taking that to heart you know what i mean there's just like well, well no you know that's not going to be the case you know what I mean? oh it's, yeah it's not going to yeah, actually I, play I, into any actual dramatic tension of whether this you know whether the you know they're going to be guilty or not you know what i mean the actual outcome of the case so it sounds like a poopy movie yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah, a little, poop, a little poopy. Again, I can't stress enough. I mean, this is. I'm not anywhere close to the demographic. Yeah, this seems you know? like teens, tweens, and young adult. Young yep. adult trying to do a rhyme, but it doesn't. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> teens, tweens, <laughs> and, and mama knees. <laughs> It's it's uh it's it's probably one for the fans of the film. I, I yeah, was not in the clearly, fan. which you can kind of yeah. I was in a, a packed theater with you know. Uh, <laughs> I mean, we want to talk about theater experiences with like kids movies. This was this was you another. must be getting some looks. 
<laughs> yeah, they were thinking I was going to try to pick up some moms or something like that. <laughs> uh, but um, yeah, you know, by the end, there was not a dry eye in the theater, folks. Except, except for yours. <laughs> for mine. <laughs> and mine were shut because I was asleep. No, I'm joking. <laughs> I wouldn't do it. Um, oh, that's funny. The joys of going to see the on the opening night. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and you I mean felt, you packed, felt... <laughs> packed, folks. It was you yeah. felt more connected to the kids in Minions and Lightyear <laughs> than you did the <laughs> yeah. Then the, these yeah, women then, in Crawdad. That is true. There was a disconnect there. Absolutely, <laughs> you for your good point. Um, uh, <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah, uh, folks. As as much as we like to bash Rotten Tomatoes, I think the story really plays out with this one. At the time of of writing my review, uh, Rotten Tomato had a thirty three critic score. Uh, and a 93 audience score, which I think illustrates, again, this is a movie for the readers, not a movie for movies. Yes, and of know? course, as we know, no one, every, everyone loves uh, movie scores that move constantly. <laughs> right. um, oh, yeah, what's, what's the update? They're still close, but they are different. So the, what, the critic score is 36. Okay. And uh, the audience is 96. Oh, it's even so, higher. So, so they both bumped three. Wow. Um, <laughs> So yeah, that I think that's a great. It's I think it's important for people to listen to this before going to see it. Yeah, understand yeah. that. <laughs> I mean, if you're not a fan of the books, sure, and, beware. And yeah, I, I've actually talked to some people that have read the book. Uh, I said I was going to watch it. They go, "Have you read the book?" I go, "No." They go, "Are you sure you want to watch it?" <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you know what I mean. So maybe if you're going with your girlfriend, maybe yeah. you go and go to. Any other movie, and she can go enjoy this film. I, exactly, yeah. And, and, and I think, if anything, there is a... Go see Maverick. It's still out. <laughs> oh, yeah. Maverick <laughs> Maverick will be evergreen in theaters until 2024. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you know, there, there, there is a, a certain story that is told in that, in that disparagement uh, between scores of critics and audiences, I think, for... Those, you know, the the ninety seven percent female theater that I was in, uh, who clearly were day one fans, who yeah, clearly were yeah. fanatical about this book, they clearly loved it. You yes, know, to the point of tears. Yeah. So there is a little bit of a half step I want in my criticism. By no means do I think this is a great movie, but I think also a thirty three or a thirty six is a little rough as well. I by no means do I think it's that bad. It's you not know? failing that much. As exactly. A film. Okay, yeah. that's a good. That's I think a good if anything, it. that's very dramatic. Dramatic. It's it's yeah. Uh, if you were one of the many uh, that this book grabbed a hold of, uh, this might be a recommendation uh, for the you know the vivid descriptions of Marsh and, and Marsh Girl come to life. Uh, but for everyone else, I would say this is probably a pass. We're gonna <laughs> go ahead and give Where the Crawdads Sing a forty-two. Forty-two percent. Okay. Yeah. yeah, like you said, maybe in the thirties was a little bit too harsh, but yeah, I think that's that's very. Very dramatic. It is. It is a functioning film. It is a uh, generic. And, and probably and, is only for forty two percent of the audience. Yeah. yeah. You know, if if we have fifty men, fifty women, not all women are going to love this either. <laughs> sure. You know exactly. what I mean? Maybe forty two percent is very representative. Were you getting any looks? Like, was it just you and just like the boyfriends or husbands in the <laughs> well, theater? I chose, I chose the very back of the theater, the back corner okay. of the theater. <laughs> so you really look like a creep oh, yeah. sitting there by yourself watching this movie. <laughs> you know, no, you see, I had my hat on and everything. The hair wasn't done. Yeah. I was not looking the best, folks. I was not picking up anyone. Oh, that's funny. Uh, that's emotions funny. Emotions running high or not. You know? 42. <laughs> Okay, so 42% for Where the Crawdads Sing. 
And uh, okay, so Vin, looking at these films here, is there anything you'd like to add? This is like a bit of an array that we had. Definitely. Yeah, array, we had a t- but, taste of a lot of different stuff. Yeah, an enjoyable week though, and I, I, I even I, the westerns, two different westerns. Really. Yeah, I, I was uh, really excited to talk about all these films. Um, you know, there was a, a lot I had to say. So, uh, but no, uh, nothing else. I'm excited to conclude the westerns uh, next week, and I'm excited to conclude the. The uh, Zachary Abrams project as well. Oh yeah, definitely. So stay tuned next week, folks. And and I just want to make a note as well. So just like you know, Vin has been making that comment lately, and I don't even know if you realized it, but you have been enjoying talking about these films. Excited oh, to yeah. talk about these films, even though not liking. Yeah, despite bad movies. And it's right. And it's five films a week. It is a lot of time, folks. And that's the thing. We are enjoying it right now, and mm-hmm. we are new. So obviously, we don't have a lot of producers and everything like that. But you know, it's also how long can we keep this going? But having producers like Luke this week and things like that. It's what's going to help us keep going. So. Absolutely. Hearing from them as well. Absol- that is yeah. fuel in itself. In major, major ways. So, Vin, we thank you stopping by and watching these films with the scores. And, folks, we'll run it down one more time here. We have Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid with a 72%. Ruthless People with a 53%. Dead Man with a 75%. The Deer King with a 71%. And Where the Crawdads Sing with a 42%. And, folks, we thank you so much for listening. And we'll see you next week on the Daily Ratings Podcast. If you enjoyed the podcast, if you would, give us a good rating or tell a friend about us. If you're wondering if a film is worth a watch or just like to see more movie ratings from Vince, be sure to stop by thedailyratings.com where we have our ever-expanding catalog of films. Also, if you found value in the podcast or our site, become a producer and go to the donations tab on thedailyratings.com. You can donate whatever amount of value you feel you received from us. We're looking to build this into something large and great but also be independent from those corporate sponsors. So we greatly appreciate any support from you all. So thanks so much, and we'll see you next time on the Daily Ratings Podcast.